Welcome to 1991 Movie Rewind, a podcast where we watch and review every movie released in 1991. From the all-time greatest classics to the critically panned and everything in between. We will rediscover forgotten fan favorites and uncover hidden gems as we explore the depths of direct-to-video. Join us in our celebration of the fun, unique, and diverse films of this highly underrated year. This week, we watched Beauty and the Beast. Beauty and the Beast tells the story of a prince, played by Robbie Benson, who has been cursed to live as a monster until he can find reciprocated love. The curse will become permanent if he doesn't find love before the last petal of the enchanted rose falls. When Belle, played by Paige O'Hara, goes to the Beast's castle to save her imprisoned father, she finds herself trapped in a palace full of enchanted objects and a very angry host. Animation screenplay by Linda Wolverton, directed by Gary Truesdale and Kirk Wise, and released in theaters everywhere on November 22nd, 1991. You've seen Beauty and the Beast before. Yes, I have. Yes, me too. I don't remember watching it when it first came out, though. No, I didn't watch it in the theater. We watched pretty much everything surrounding it. I, I remember watching Little Mermaid. In the theater? Um, probably video, actually. Uh, Lion King and Aladdin, both definitely theater. But this is the one that kind of... I, I, I think I watched it like in high school maybe first. Oh. Or even college. It, it was... Uh, so not like in the early 90s? No, I don't think so. Maybe, but I, I, re- I don't think so. Okay. I mean, I know we watched it, um, but I mean, probably when it was... At Blockbuster, like, you know, a, le- a year later or something, yeah. six months later. I, I mean, there's uh, a lot of people watched it. So well, <laughs> this, yeah, th- this, this is, is number our, one. This is our number one box office performing movie of the year. $218.9 million domestically. Over $400 million worldwide. Uh, it beat out Terminator 2 for the best I mean, I get it. It's just, like, these Disney and children's movies usually... I mean, well, around this time, it was... I mean, they they called it the Disney Renaissance. Yeah. I I think this is really what kind of... Well, Little Mermaid, and then this kicked it off. Yeah, Little Mermaid is what began the the Renaissance. I think uh, what was key to that is using established stories and then putting the Disney spin on them again. Right. Because before that you had things like Oliver and Company. You had things like The Rescuers and The Rescuers Down Under. You had Black Cauldron and all these other things that Great Mouse Detective, you know, um, that didn't really play off of these fables and didn't have that storybook quality. They were just good adventure family films. Mm -hmm. And so bringing it back to that, you know, the roots of the Snow White so it makes sense. Yeah, the fairy tale. Yeah. Yeah, the Snow Whites and the Cinderellas and whatnot. And this is a story that's been told many, many times before, and many times since. 
and also during because there was the TV show Beauty and the Beast that yeah, was happening at the same ended, time. <laughs> it ended in 1990. Okay. But yeah, I mean, the, we've seen this isn't like. The, well, for me, this was my first time knowing about the story of Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, you get the basics just from, you know, you can watch the trailer and get the basics of the story. It's like, okay, here's this guy who's been transformed into a creature and, you know, the woman's going to be the, the savior, as, as right. it were. It's kind of the reverse of most other Disney films in that way, or even a lot of different fairy tales where usually it's the damsel in distress and the prince has to come and rescue the sleeping beauty or, you know, has to kiss Snow White to waken her or whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, or there's like Rapunzel who's stuck in the tower. tower yeah. And... and here you have this guy who's in this spot the because of his own one. doing, but he needs... Presumably, the woman to, to come and save him. Save him, but without knowing that she's saving him. Herself. Well, well, she's also like saving herself. Yeah. In yeah. A in way. A sense. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, and then I mean, I haven't seen this movie in a really long time. But what's the Hunchback of Notre Dame about? I have not. I've never seen it. Oh, okay. Because I was thinking, like, are they? I was just thinking, like. Are they similar stories? <laughs> I should have probably like... Well, I don't like, think the hunchback is cursed. He's just like a he's physically... Just yeah, he's like a physically ugly guy and, you know, cursed. Well, not really cursed, just like ostracized. Yeah, there's, there's no spell to be, to be broken with him. I yeah, think. no. I, yeah, I think he's just ostracized. He's just like ostracized in the tower of like the Notre Dame. <laughs> but I was thinking of that. Yeah, I, I definitely have never seen the Disney interpretation of that. I don't really know much about the stories overall. Um, just that basic bit of it. I think, yeah, that's more about don't judge a book by its cover. This is more like beauties on the inside and like beauties within. Yeah. Looking for the... and well, Also, don't judge a book by its cover in a way. Yeah. But also, I mean, I think it's a little bit about just I guess it just I don't know again having not seen Hunchback I think it just takes a little bit farther and that this one surprisingly talks about like the toxic masculinity side of things with Gaston and you have yeah you know um, they're both being judged like Bella's being judged by the entire town because she reads because and, she's you know... literate yes <laughs> And that's a no-no. As a mind of her own, I mean, and that's the, a dangerous thing. Because, I mean, this is basically like the 1700s, right? Yeah. So. I mean, the women weren't allowed to... I mean, they even, when they sang it, she kind of says it in a sarcastic way. Like, women weren't allowed to read or think for themselves. Yeah. But, I mean... Because that's too dangerous. Yeah. Right. Because, you know, that scares men at that time. Yeah. Unfortunately. And so you have Belle being judged, and you also have the Beast being judged because of his outward appearance, but he got into that situation because he judged the the sorceress, the Enchantress, um, and fell yeah, for she, her trap. 
she was disguised as like a beggar and he just laughs at her face yeah and offers like a rose to you know please take me in and and help me out and And he's like like, no no, forget you you're you're one of those ooey gooey people Uh, (laughs) and then she was like thinner or something like that yeah like she revealed her true self (laughs) right right which was like a fairy or something and he's like oh my gosh forgive me and she's like nope you're cursed right Uh, and that's how the whole thing goes down um i remember when i watched it the first time i don't know I, i i enjoyed the movie but it didn't leave like a lasting impression on me and I think the same is true this time, too. Like, this is a really, really good movie. It is. and But I, it's not going to stick with me the way something like Aladdin or Lion King will I think it does. has to deal with the music, because there's only two songs in this movie that I really like. Yeah, I'd say two and a half. Because the, the opening song, where Belle's going around the town and, you know, talking about how she wants to get out of this provincial town. And that, life. that was getting on my nerves. But the amount of time, times she was saying, I want more than this provincial life. I was like, okay, whoever wrote the lyrics, I was like, you couldn't think of a <laughs> synonym for provincial. It's, it's meant to be the hook. I guess. Right, yeah, that's sort of like the chorus when a when a song doesn't really have a chorus. That's you know you just. Repeat I, I just it, it was, I was like, well, because she's saying she said the word prevent. I want more than this provincial life in two songs. Well, I think it's really just the same song that they bring back. Just different. you know how musicals yeah just know, like a like, reprise yeah they do little threads of other songs that and they do callbacks yeah and they call back and 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 I have a that's where I have an issue with that song is that they do that opening song it's a really good sequence visually and then they do some plot stuff and then the second you know with no music behind it at all and then when the music starts up again it's that same song again like immediately. It's just a continuation of that. Yeah, but like five minutes later. Right. And so, you know, you're kind of like expecting something new and then it's just a repeat of the same thing. I think that's kind of a weird way to structure that. Um, And then you have the Gaston song next where it's just talking about how great he is and that's just a... I'm sorry, it's a bad song. (laughs) It's not fun or good. Yeah, I just... (laughs) I... I love The Little Mermaid and Aladdin... And it's for, I mean, I like the stories, but the music in both of those are so much, like, superior <laughs> than the songs in this movie. Like, yeah, in those movies, whole, yes, it's like hit catalog. after hit after hit. It's like the entire soundtrack is amazing. But this is just, like, kind of like what I hate about musicals like sure i have like a love hate relationship with musicals it's like i either really really love something or i just fucking i hate it i don't know yeah this this is very broadway it's kind of to me it's like sing talking and i don't like sing talking yeah a lot of the songs also just uh like the verses are 
written in such a way that you have to progress the plot through the song and it makes for really awkward sentences and song verses at the same time yeah so there's a lot of that that's happening here whereas something like little mermaid and aladdin and lion king i think especially lion king you have these songs that sound a lot more modern and they sound like they were made in the but 90s. yeah like the circle of life like yeah was... or even you know just some of like the whole new world from aladdin that sounds like a t- contemporary r&b song mm-hmm. not just because they had a pop version of it that was recorded otherwise this aside from beauty and the beast i would say that is like you know that whatever um but especially this first song i don't even know what it's called i didn't write down the song the bonjour song yeah whatever the bonjour bonjour like that is 1950s broadway but it's written today and that's the problem i have with most musicals is that it all sounds like it's from the exact same decade and they never contemporize it right right and then i don't I mean, I really did. I'm assuming they made this specifically for this 1991 movie because there are, okay, because there are like iterations from like the 40s, 50s, and 60s of Beauty and the Beast. And I don't know if they took anything from those. Or this is all original to this movie. Yeah, I don't know how much of that was musical. The intention behind this was to not only make a Disney movie, but also have a songbook that they were going to put on the Broadway. Like, they yeah. knew that that I was mean, the plan going in, was to became, not only have a movie, but also a Broadway show. That yeah, was this became into a Broadway show. So that's that was the mentality behind it. Uh, and that's probably why we get some of these songs that sound like this. But it that's a lot of what people don't like about musicals, including us. Yeah. I mean... D- we watched the live action, because I was very oh. curious... I was very curious about the live action one after seeing this and it's just like additional songs and those songs the additional songs are also not great it was cut content for a reason that movie also by the way is an hour longer than this movie the 2017 but i will say that live action the live action movie is more it's closer to the real story the written story okay it's closer but it's also not good <laughs> i thought it was okay <laughs> i thought it was soulless oh i thought it was like oh, completely God. devoid of anything other than hey remember this part hey remember this part and now let's let's slightly tweak this and let's expand upon well, cause it. Well, because I and wanted let's... to see how they would do the Gaston part. Because the Gaston part... The in... Gaston part change was a little bit... I don't know. I like Gaston in here and that he is so one-dimensional. I like that he's one-dimensional in this. Right. He's not in the live action as much. It would have been... For the live action one, it because w- in the animated one, Gaston looks like he's seven feet tall. It mm. would have been cool to see like a big, burly, six foot seven man, like, yeah, like muscly yeah, man, yeah, playing like a Gaston. wrestler type of a guy yeah. or something like that. Doing the yeah, yeah, because I think they did purposely make Gaston big and imposing to be more of a. Uh, parallel to the beast yeah physically right like you know they can do that in the cartoon whereas in in the live action one 
<laughs> like the, the the beast is you know like on like basically stilts i think but and then they just cg the entire head which is really well you, the entire just, movie oh. is like pretty much cg'd all right, well, back to this one. Back to this one and the CG of this one. It's evident very, very early on, but also not at the same time. Um, this is one of the first movies. I think it's the second movie made under Disney's Hush Hush CAPS program, Computer Animation Production System, also known as CAPS. Rescuers Down Under was the first movie entirely made with it. But basically, it's a computer-assisted animation program so that they no longer had to actually convert their drawings into animation cells. And they never had, they didn't have to hand paint the paint mm. on everything. And then they could do a lot more with um, matching up the cells and putting them into their backgrounds. And it's a long walk to say... This is why you have these incredibly beautiful layered sceneries where Belle is like walking through the forest and you see different layers of background moving at different speeds. You have that parallax scrolling and everything going on. And she's you know, able to weave in and out of objects so seamlessly because of this caps thing. You know, so they have... This is known for its computer graphics because of the, the ballroom dance. Yeah. The, you know, the, and we'll get to that, I think. In a bit, but there's also little minor things that you don't think of or wouldn't know because one one Disney wasn't advertising that this is a thing that they were doing at the time, uh, but also you know like probably any major animation professional in a different studio is probably looking at this and like oh well that's that's different that's <laughs> that's something proprietary that they're doing because there's you know it, it's just. Uh, enhanced technique that you can't really do manually anymore even though it is still the hand-drawn animation uh also like little things that they could do with the paint because they're not not using actual cell paint they can do additional things with shading they can do additional things with um like i'm not sure if you noticed that bell had like rosy cheeks a lot of the time mm-hmm. and so that's not something you could really do very easily or consistently from frame to frame or minute to minute, and now they can digitally add the color palettes and give her like flushy, rosy cheeks, and give her that depth of of character. So, I really loved the opening of this movie because it's flashy without being over the top, and also I just think it's a really effective story device to tell the backstory of the beast through that series of stained glass that is supposedly uh adorning his castle i guess is what the intention is is that yeah um so you're you know you have the narration done by david ogden steers who's also cogsworth in this movie and telling the story of how the beast came to be the beast and how he denied help and you know the rose became this cursed object for him and everything it's just a it's a wonderful scene and it's one of the more impactful ones and then followed by just amazing visuals of her just going through the forest and trails. It's, it's something very simple, but effective if you know what to look for. And the song is good until it's, you know, overstays its welcome, I guess. Mm-hmm. I like, okay, I do like the flow of this movie, and I 
just appreciated that, I guess, after watching the live action one, because the live action one was like, I was getting bored at parts, and I was like, just oh, get, yeah. to, I was like, just get to the part where they, like, dance in the ballroom already, but there's too much filler. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. or that's why I was like, oh, it's like I already, I haven't seen this movie in so long, but I was like, oh, I, I know what the next scene is, and it's like happening right away. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't feel like it's moving along too quickly. It doesn't feel like anything's abbreviated. No, I just, I like the way that it flowed. Yeah, absolutely. I think they, um, and, and again, it's not a musical in the sense that there are some musicals where it's basically like a song every other minute. This yeah, is not which, like this. this which is, I'm glad because I hate that. I think there's maybe like, what, like five main songs overall? Four? Yeah. I don't know. You have like the, um, the provincial town, you have the Gaston song, you have Be Our Guest, you have Beauty and the Beast. That's it? Yeah. Basically? You have the one where, she, well, she sings a song after Gaston comes to her house and wants to marry her, and she's, like, singing the song while she's feeding the chickens about who wants to be. Is that an extension to the Provincial Life song? I think so. Yes. Okay. Because that happens after Gaston, like, sets up the wedding before even proposing to her. Yeah. And then he, like, falls into the whole thing with the pig. Um, and then, yeah, she goes back into the same song and basically just morphs back into the Provincial Town song. There's also the song where um, she, like, the whole montage of her with the be with Beast. Oh, where... yeah, there's something there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the fifth one. Okay. All right. So there's five songs. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> see, that's that's the thing. Like, that's what we're talking about with the music. Like, that's not a bad song. The something there song. That's not a bad yeah, song. Yeah, it was okay. It's just not. It's never gonna get stuck in my head. No. Like, I mean, "Be Our Guest" and "Beauty and the Beast" are the two songs that I know. And I think "Provincial Town" is Real. like one where you hear it enough, it becomes like. You know, All I hear is provincial sound. <laughs> but like, you know, that yeah. melody will get stuck it's in your head like the like Barney the, the Dinosaur theme song. Yeah, it's just called like the Bell song. <laughs> it's oh, okay. just called Bell. And then there's right. Gaston. Yeah, because most of the lyrics are talking about how Bell is... So uh, odd. Yeah, like... Yeah. <laughs> what a silly girl she reads. Or, and then they have the song, the Kill the Beast song. Oh, yeah. See, we're already forgetting these songs, and we just watched this movie. Yeah, well, I'm just trying to remember all the... I should yeah. Have, yeah, I should have written them down. The uh, mob song. But the yeah. fact that we would have to write them down to remember them is, is really saying a lot about the music in this. Yeah, And that's not... Again, it's not that the music's necessarily that but bad. But see, even that Kill the Bee song is just saying... I, I mean, I really don't know the lyrics. All I know is no. them going, Kill the Beast? Like, they're singing Kill the Beast yeah. over and over and over again. There's no, like, major hook to it. Yeah. It's all explaining things... Of what they're doing. It's yes. like, I'm... I'm running in the forest now, coming to kill the beast. Kill the beast. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it, yeah, he's going to destroy our town. He's going to yeah, ruin yeah. our way of life. Yeah, and it's all like this their kind of satanic stuff. panic song or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's where Gaston is gaslighting 
the uh, town with his yes, Q because... and, with his like QAnon beliefs. <laughs> where where Bella is basically trying to say, no, no, the beast is fine. I just came from there. He's harmless, but he's real. So save my father because they're trying to institutionalize right. the father for acting. You know, she's crazy. trying. Yeah, she's trying to save her father, but. They're, you but know, then they're like, oh shit! There's a beast. Okay. There really is a beast. Let's go so kill let's it. Let's go, ki- yeah, yeah. And one of the lyrics I think is, "We're afraid of we what we don't know," like, which so, is exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's it's very timely in all times, but you know, like <laughs> it's like witch hunt. It's everything. Where, yeah, you know, yeah. We're afraid of the unknown, and so let's just kill it. Right. And that's, Even though that's he's half like, of the lyrics nothing. of the song. <laughs> And Gaston is doing that in, in the hopes of being a hero and also... Wanting to get to... I mean, because if he does... other options for Belle. Well, yeah, if he does do that, then her father would be like, yeah, marry her. Or well, whatever. Well, not really, but yes, that's that's his but thought. But that's what he That's want. his thought. Yeah. Yeah. But, okay. Well, again, the, the music is, is crucial to this. And I'll say that some of the movies that we've been referencing here... Were written by the same people, Alan Menken, who did the score, and Howard Ashman, who was also executive producer on this. They co-wrote Little Mermaid. They did Aladdin, to a degree. Howard Ashman, not so much because his unfortunate passing before this movie came out. Um, and then they did this. So you know, some of the movies that we're saying are better than this were written by the same people. So it's not to knock these people overall. And again, it's just. The, the way of the world um and just our opinions but i think that's that's a major thing the the other big thing about this movie again is just the reverse aspect of how this works um i don't know the beast is someone who needs the redemption gaston is somebody who should have been cursed Right, like yeah. Gaston he's, is still in that mentality of the person. On, he's pretty on the outside, ugly on the inside. Yeah, and that's what this prince had going on for him uh, until he got cursed as a beast. And I guess still now, he was this, yeah, he was. He's a recluse in his. He's a good look. He was a good-looking prince, but he was like a, a selfish asshole. Yeah, and and so he got cursed. Um, but he needs that redemption. Like, he, yeah. that, that's the whole point of this. You know what would have been he cool? He needs to learn how to change, and he's forced to learn how to change. Whereas Gaston has no reason to ever change his ways right now. Um, it would have been cool if, you know, at the end where, you know, they say, I love you before the pedal falls. Mm-hmm. I know that Gaston falls to, like, his death. Right. It would have been funny if Gaston got turned into a beast and they keep him like locked in a freaking tower for yeah, forever. Yeah, find a way to swap it. Yeah. Yeah. Don't take my ideas. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's interesting that Gaston actually like dies in this movie. Yeah, some of these scenes, I mean, I mean all these Disney movies cursing, with all these but... random deaths, you're like, wow, they really show this. Yeah, um, they show him falling into the pit, they don't show, like, the aftermath, it's not like... But we assume he, I mean, he's, yeah, there's, he there's fell no a to, really long yeah. fall. There are cartoony aspects of this movie, but that's that's not one that you're expected to take the leap of faith in, right? Of uh-huh. course, you have a bunch of characters in this movie. You have LeFou, 
who is, I don't know, more cartoony than some of the pots and pans that are talking, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you have Looney Tunes, Disney-ish moments uh, that happen as part of the, the slapstick humor, but when you see Gaston fell off, fall off the roof of the tower the tower you just know that he's not okay it's not a wily coyote situation it's not that type of cartoon (laughs) uh we can talk about some of the characters in this because we kind of haven't there aren't there I, i feel like i remember there being more but there really aren't that many you have lumiere the candelabra you have cogsworth the clock who are um, best buds, I guess. I mean, they're kind of like, like frenemies. Yeah. I don't know. It's like Lum, because well, they're all just the he like Lum, the footman and the butler of the prince. And I mean, the one thing that I did like in the live action movie is they. They go into more of how the inanimate object people are desperate, too. They're like, we want to be human again. Yeah. We don't want to become... I don't want to be a fucking candelabra for life. So let's... Like, here's a woman. (laughs) Let's try to get them together. I kind of liked that. Yeah, I did too. That's one of the few things that they did do better because you don't really know that they're human until after the transformation. Right. We don't know end. that the they're enti- like you the prince's assume. uh yeah, his um people all became inanimate objects. Right, because that kind of changes what the enchantress did. You just kind of assume that, oh, certain objects got turned into magical creatures because this entire castle has now been enchanted. Yeah, and, so and cursed. This and... is now part of the the spell, is that some objects come to life to keep them company or to help them out with whatever. Yeah. Evidently, the Enchantress, while punishing the prince, is also punishing... All of his subjects. Yes, these dozens which... and dozens of things. Yeah. I mean, they they were all kind yeah. of laughing in the in the live action movie. They're all laughing at her, so she's like, "All right, fuck you! I'm turning you all into whatever." Right. Yeah. And then I'm also like erasing this castle, and no one knows anything about a prince or this castle at all. So right. <laughs> you figure it out. Yeah, which I think is part of what this movie did, but didn't say that they were doing. Yeah, I mean, they're. I mean, this movie is geared for children i know young i mean i if i was 10 11 watching that i'd be like okay whatever can i just see a fucking singing candelabra please or can i see chip and pot mrs potts yeah and don't look at the 2017 version of those because they're all grotesque and bad what the the live action oh yeah clock and candelabra they're all gross looking I don't like it at all. Not yeah, they were... The, it, that's... I the mean, wardrobe. I even said, if I watched this as a child, like, the live-action one first, I would be kind of freaked out by it. it it's kind of like Return to Oz. Um, Some of the design... Of. Yeah, like, especially Lumiere, I think. Yeah. It's kind of creepy in that way. Um, even though I love Return to Oz, but, like, the creatures in there, kind they were kind of, like, freaky-deaky scary. I mean, everyone was kind of scary in that movie. Oh, yeah, the wheelies freaked me out. Oh, y- yeah. 
Yeah, so you have those two. They're like the leads of this whole thing. You got Mrs. Potts and Chip, or the teapot and kettle, uh, or I'm sorry, the the teapot and a cup, and you have the wardrobe, who is in there for a scene or two. Joanne Worley just being her bombastic self. Yeah, and you self. have the the maid, who's just and you like have the a maid duster. who's like a duster who doesn't really have much to do but she's she's there as well i think it's okay so when mrs potts is putting chip away in the cupboard she said go to sleep with your brothers and sisters where where don't do anything most of the time but when they come back to life where are all those brothers and sisters that's true that's a good point and then another thing that i had an issue with so like in the beginning of the movie um, the narrator is saying, like, on his 21st birthday, he has to find someone that loves him. 21st year. But he's 21, right? Or 21 years. I think that's, I think that's the loophole. As being the, the beast. I think that's the loopholes, yeah. 21st year after the curse. That's okay. my interpretation of it. But when... Which means that he's, like, significantly older than Belle. But when he turns back, he's, like, the same age or whatever. Yeah, which which also kind of goes in line with, like, Chip not aging 21 years. Yeah, yeah. it's like so, time froze. Yeah, time froze basically for them. But that's I think that's the interpretation is, yes, 21 years. Since... for Okay. And then... But... And there's Lumiere, like a line, yeah, about 10 years. Yeah, Lumiere and Cogsworth are talking to each other saying, you know, we've been collecting dust for 10 years or something like that. Mm-hmm. So it's been 10 years, but... But it could just have be another... 10 years that they've been needed. Oh, right? so, like, so the first like 10, 10 years... like 10 years since they've had a guest that they could entertain. So the first 10 years, they did, like nothing <laughs> and then the last 10 years they were doing stuff I'm, I'm what i'm saying is like this is what apparently the filmmaker has intended from that line and they changed it for the live action one just to kind of eliminate this confusion i think they're saying 21 years not 21 not 21st birthday but 21 years is the line and then during the briar guest thing they're saying uh like for 10 years we've been rusting or something like that. Yeah. Which basically means that they have not they been, have not been called upon to serve or help anybody in 10 years. So 10 years so like, ago there yeah, was another like, person that came. That's the implication, yes. Okay. <laughs> but what happened to that person then? I don't know, probably got scared off by the beast. He's a loner. He doesn't want to have anything to do with anything. Okay. He's kind of resigned to his fate. Um, even when Bell gets there, he's resigned to his fate, and he doesn't think that this is any sort of chance or opportunity for anything because he doesn't he doesn't see the beauty within himself, right? Um, and that's part of the the lesson I that even, he has to learn. I liked when Gaston found him, and the Beast is already like in his depression hole, and he's just like Beast, I found you, and he's like, Meh. yeah, he's like, get it over with. Just, this is probably for the he's best. He's like, just kill me then. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, mean, I just, I can he understand, just like but accepted it. He was like, yeah. I mean, all right, just do it. You're looking at the rose, which is like there really wasn't a fight until he saw Bell. Exactly. Yeah, when he saw that Bell came, like there back, was a hope in there, but 
Right, because he let Belle go. She was his prisoner. Um, but Which, I don't know. I have like the whole prisoner thing like bothers me. But yeah, well, yeah. Let me just explain the the lead up, I guess, real quickly, and then we can get back to that. The so Belle was let go because she was the prisoner, but was missing her father, and she got to use the magic mirror to see how he was doing because they had started to bond and you know get to know each other a little bit better. And so Belle saw that his her father her father was in trouble with Gaston and everybody and the beast is like, "Well, you need to go be with him. I, you know, you're you're free from the castle." So he just assumed that Belle was never coming back because he is who he is. Um, and so when Belle did return after helping her dad, that's, yeah, that's when the fight got put. He's, he's basically like, okay, well, I know my time is up because the rose is basically completely empty now. Plus the only chance I had, I let go. So yeah, just kill me. Cause it's just, you know, it's going to be a better fate than living as a beast of my whole life. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, the imprisonment in general is is uh, overkill, just for the you know the father. Um, yeah. The dad gets lost. He's off to some inventing conference, conference. thing. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I was like, what? The, yeah. He's off to like show off his new invention to a fair. Yeah. A, a town away or something like that. He gets lost. The horse um, gets spooked by a bunch of wolves. Leaves him. Uh, after a while and he's he happens to come upon this castle with when escaping the wolves and the beast imprisons him for being an intruder into his house um the horse comes back and finds bell and that's when bell rides the horse back to the castle and says take me instead of him and that's when the whole thing starts i think a lot of it makes sense in terms of Belle's, um, you know, reluctance. Mm -hmm. um, I also understand the Beast's temper tantrums as well because he's not used to dealing with humans anymore. He doesn't understand human behavior. And I think he, even back in his original life, he was probably more used to having control over people yeah, and just, getting his way all the time. Yeah, being a spoiled yeah, so he's, he's basically a spoiled brat, and, you know, the the whole dinner conversation is like, you're coming to join me for dinner, this is not a request, and, uh -huh. you know, they both have their own I mean, tantrums and... on the, either side of the door. Both understandable, I'd say Bell's is the only one that's warranted. Yeah. But both understandable. Um, but yeah, if you want to get into the, the imprisonation stuff I mean because there is the aspect of possible Stockholm syndrome yes because I mean it's just like well the whole thing with like Gaston also coming on to her he's, bothers me but well, yeah I mean it, it's I, supposed to right yeah I know it's just uh he's he's essentially forcing himself on her yeah forcing the marriage like outside of her home after she's said no a million times but then this being a prisoner for forever and then yeah this is like 
all the inanimate objects are like, this is our only hope for the beast. Mm-hmm. So let's make this pairing happen. Because it's like, we're all good. I mean, it's just like, he's going to stay this way forever. And yeah, they also... So, they also supposedly know how the beast is inside anyway. Like, yeah. They know his they know how he is. feelings and whatever. They like they're all friendly and whatever. You know, so They know how he is cuz when the father first comes into the castle, they're like, "Oh no, he's sitting in his chair." Right. Like they're like, "Oh, that's not good." Yeah, that's not good, but they know enough about him that yeah. Um they know that there's a good person deep in there right they're, they, they teach they're not him. scared of him no because he's so not really mean he's something. not really mean to them exactly and that means something yeah they just i mean they've been serving him his whole life so that's their jobs and they continue to do that job so they're just used to doing that and then it's the whole montage of them teaching him manners <laughs> yeah my favorite part is them getting to know each other yeah and then they show her around the castle but the, and that's when she goes to the west wing if i don't know if you're being if someone's like hey <laughs> yeah this is why i don't really buy into the stockholm syndrome stuff as much honestly I'm just like, if someone's like, hey, you you have this entire giant castle to do whatever the fuck, but don't go there. I'd be like, okay, I'm never going there. Right. But don't be like the first, oh, well, like the first thing you want to do is be like, hey, I want to go where I'm not permitted. Mm-hmm. And then that's what she does. And, you know, the whole thing where yeah, the this- beast finds her, scares her off. She goes, runs off wolves come and get her he comes and saves her that's where this is not really stockholmy because then when she sees him coming back for her and saving her life basically that's when she starts to have a little feeling like oh he has feelings too (laughs) yeah yeah like he's not he's not a full-on asshole he came to save me no, and honestly, like, even the West Wing stuff, he's not a full-on asshole. He's yelling, yes, yeah. but he's completely within his right. Right, to he's do that. like, don't. Go he's to... like, don't go in here. He doesn't have any reason to explain why. You know, like if someone, if you are in someone's, he doesn't someone's... need to. It's yes, his exactly. own fucking house. Exactly. If you are in someone else's <laughs> house and they say this room is off limits, I'm then fucking guess what happens if you go following in that room? the rules? Because yeah. <laughs> I mean, Especially technically, someone... you're quote a prisoner. Yeah, I'd especially someone who can like lock you up in a tower in a cell. You know the cells exist. You rescued your father from one. He is nice enough to not keep you in that cell. Assume, well, nice enough is relative because he's still, you know, mm. basically telling you to stay. But he's like, not watching over you all the time. Forever, but she could easily run out the door at any goddamn time. Right. You know. But, I mean, wolves might come and get her. Yeah, but it's, you know what I mean. Um, like she's. She's free to roam the grounds as much as possible. Yeah. So, like, why would you risk your limitation of movement by going into this unrestricted spot? So, yeah, and I, do, I really don't think she has any sort of feelings for him until he saves yeah, her life. Yeah, that's when I, 
and and he had no reason to go after her necessarily either right like yeah it was she was kind of a dick to him and so like you know he didn't have to go save her or chase after her he didn't know necessarily that wolves were going to be going to eat her yeah but it, it was the uh his i mean the I don't want to say that. I guess it's just like Lumiere and Cogsworth alerted him. Like, hey, she ran off. Yeah. I mean, he was probably going to come and get her and be like, hey, you got to come back. But when the wolves came, he was like, oh, shit, I got to save her. Yeah, it could have been. It would have been nice to to know 100% for sure. If the wolves never happened, like, he would have caught up and just, like, capture her and be, like, or, kind yeah, of Or have, her. like, a line or something before he even appears, wanting to know what his motivations were. Was he, was he out there just to bring her back? Or was he out there just to make sure she's safe? Yeah, maybe both. But... Yeah, because he's attacked by wolves and um, basically collapses, she stays and... Yeah, she does come back because... She she nurses him back to health, in essence, because, you know, she she got her life saved by him and so she's going to help his life. Yeah, save him. Uh, Because she's a kind person. Like, you know, it's just kindness begets kindness is the, the moral of the story. One of them. Um, so yeah, I don't really necessarily think it's purely Stockholm mm-hmm. either. But yeah, I think that loosens things up. And I I think there could have been an angle to it where if Belle wasn't the type of character that they're representing Belle to be, that she could have easily like manipulated the situation to gain her freedom anyway. Yeah. But that's not what this is about. Well, she's... Okay, yeah. I mean, she could have been like, oh, I'm let me be nice to him and maybe if i'm so nice he'll let me go exactly because there's a lot of leeway and a lot of freedom granted to her early on yeah you can see her manipulating him and she is very strong this is not gonna be that type of movie yeah she's very strong-headed and she's not taking any shit from him um and that's you know we see that from the, the the dinner tantrum we'll call it Oh well, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna eat with you. Blah blah blah. I don't know how many humans he's come upon since. So he's always thinking that people would be afraid of him. Like when he comes near her, she doesn't flinch anymore. She's not repulsed by his demeanor or his appearance, and yeah. he's just like, oh. And that happens at the very beginning, right? Uh-huh. So she, because she's, she's like, not like when she says "come into the light," she's yeah. not like grossed out. She's just like, <gasps> "Yeah, okay." She's shocked that this exists. Shocked that yeah. it's not like I'm scared or ill. You're gross. It's just like, oh shit, you're a monster. I yeah, guess. Yeah, it's like, oh, you're not human. Yeah. Um. By the way, like the shading in that is well, everything is wonderful. so dark. Yeah, in the. The, the live action movie, whenever they show the beast, it's always dark. Well, yeah, it, it's supposed to be dark until it's come into the light. But even when he came in the light, it was still dark to me. It, it's like every time they showed him, it was dark. But, okay. Maybe they were trying to hide the, the shitty the CG. CG. Um, 
And then but I w- here okay. I really yeah, I don't know. Like, I will again. say that like the the beast version is cuter than the human version. <laughs> like when he turns back into the prince, I was like, oh, I thought he was a cute person as a beast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're not alone. I think that's okay. why you still see you know like most of the time when he's you know out in the you know theme parks or whatever yeah you see him as well i mean i mean obviously yeah it's also most of the movies if if they show him as the prince in in like disney world or disneyland they're gonna be like who the hell is that guy you have to show the beast yeah but also yeah just it's a better design Mm -hmm. um but yeah again i really like the the way that that animation you know that those characters were shaded i think that's Again, one of those things that that caps system could probably help them do is because, like, as they walk into the light, you can see the shading form on them, and that's, you know, really not an easy thing to do naturally by hand. Um, uh, Speaking of the animation, again, I think most of it is very much, like, old school, but just highly, highly refined. There's tons of painted backgrounds in this thing very very detailed painted backgrounds and that really makes a big difference i don't know how long ago it was that we saw like the jungle book like the 1960s jungle book for mm-hmm. instance but <laughs> like compare and contrast those two like every little scene every little shot almost has like its own unique painted background in this whereas jungle book is just like here's some green and it's you know it's just very flat and it's like repeated like a hanna Barbera cartoon yeah um so the just same background as they're like running you see yeah. like the same three trees exactly so i you know having that immense level of detail does subconsciously help a lot and then obviously the the big moment that a lot of people were talking about at the time is the completely cute computer graphic generated ballroom for the, the i mean key, yeah at that time sequence. that's that was kind of like it should have been shown in 3D or something. Or it looks it like was it was. released in 3D later on. It's yeah. a re-release. I mean, it, it, it would be cool to see that, like, 3D. Because it kind of looks as if it should have been 3D. But, and that's because it is, yeah, actual computer graphics 3D models. Uh, it's the only scene that contains the CGI. And I think that they picked the right one (laughs) that was that was the right choice i guess you know part of it is that they didn't have the budget to do more they had planned to possibly do more sequences that had uh, computer graphics when they showed when when the beast showed bell the um the library i thought that was amazing too just seeing how it looked like it was a 20 foot ceilinged from floor all the way up to like ceiling of all these books and it was yeah that's that's like a sprawling painted background Uh yeah um but in this ballroom scene i think it was i don't know it it was somewhat revolutionary at the time you know computer graphics have been used for certain things but not to the they usually try to hide it i think it's movies like this and also like terminator 2 where computer graphics are pushed more to the forefront Mm -hmm. of things um, where it becomes a little bit of a selling feature. And this is such a crucial turning point in their story 
that I think having the computer graphics be something of a contrast to all of the painted backgrounds that we've seen before, to everything else, it creates more of a magical world around them, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. uh, they're dancing around this ethereal space, like this almost, you know, space age thing. Yeah, like they're, flo it looks as if they're floating. Yeah, they're meant to be integrated into the dance floor, but because, <laughs> because of the computer graphics being so much different stylistically, it does definitely make it look like they're, they're floating. But that adds to the charm. It adds to a lot of it. And you have like the reflections of the cell animations that are on the floor of the thing moving along with them. Um, it's just uh, it's, it's a marvelous sequence. Plus you have the best song in the movie. Yeah, Beauty playing, and the Beast. Playing behind it. So it just, it all comes together at the right spot. And then the 2017 version recreates it shot by shot, but it's not nearly there, as effective because know. it's an actual set. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I don't, there's I nothing just... special about it other than, hey, remember this from 1991? Right. I give like Emma Watson props for like probably having to all of her acting is like with green screened whatever mm -hmm. but she's probably used to that from like harry potter stuff I don't oh yeah know. probably but i mean dancing with like someone who probably is dressed up like in that you know the green outfit with all the fucking shit on him <laughs> Just, yeah. uh, to do that so her interacting with like a cgi per or cgi because she's talking to like everyone in cgi basically except for like when she's talking to gaston or her dad yeah and and lefou is played by mm -hmm. josh gad in that one and i think like seeing the way lefou is is handled in this movie like he's a total doofus right like, well, he's, he's just, supposed to be yeah yeah he's he's just like this smarmy weasel sidekick um, and it, I don't know. Like, I like the one-dimensionality of the characters because you don't have to spend a whole lot of time with them. You understand what they're about, and then you just use them as fodder to move on to the next little thing. They're not meant to be big, whatever. They're just meant to be uh, plot movers. Um, the other, the other magical part, aside from the CJ ballroom scene, is after. After the beast basically gets stabbed by Gaston, mm -hmm. uh, and he's dying, Belle's at his side, and she says that she loves him, and then he gets to transform. Mm -hmm. So the transformation part? Yeah, where you have like these you Beams know, rays of, of color coming through, and he's yeah. like lifted up and does the transformation and everything. Like Sailor Moon. It gave sure. me Sailor Moon vibes. <laughs> like spun around it, yeah. and like beams were coming out of his like fingers and toes. Yeah. You have like these rainbow colors surrounding him. Yeah. As he's and then he floats on and down. Then... Uh, and, and then it's just a quick resolution and then yeah, you're out of the movie. She's Great. like, yeah, she looks into his eyes and she's like, it's you. But I was like, okay, I know. And like, you watched the whole thing happen. Of course it's him. <laughs> well, whatever. <laughs> she is, she's like watching this thing happen before her eyes. Like, what the hell? But <laughs> I, I mean, I looked this up, but I was like, okay, is she going to call a beast for forever? 
Yeah, they don't. Do they? They say don't his say name? his name. No, yeah. but I looked it up, and it's, it's supposed Adam. to be Prince Adam. Yeah, yeah. But, but that's also He Man, Prince Adam. So maybe mm, that's why they didn't. They do didn't want to yeah. do that. I just, <laughs> I I just think like, is she gonna slip up throughout their lives and call him Beast every once in a while? Yeah. Meanwhile, I'm thinking, well, he is uglier as a human, so now beauty really has to be on the inside then, because he's <laughs> not. Uh. <laughs> so but it, it made me think of the movie love on a leash so <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole nother can of worms right there I, I don't, but it's just like the dog she names the dog prince but when <laughs> the guy his name his name is alvin <laughs> i don't know why i'm talking <laughs> about his name is alvin the human version uh-huh. but she still calls him prince when he turns into a human <laughs> yeah that's a good so point. that's what i was thinking yeah is she gonna call him beast <laughs> right I, I probably would i mean did she call him anything did, did she call him beast like when they're interacting with each other no i don't know if they had i think she just said it's you yeah I don't, yeah but i mean I don't think they had the most the of talk their of like yeah my real name is this yeah most of their you know interactions were in a montage with no speaking so yeah that's we don't I know mean, what they were calling each other casually before this right. all right and I kind of like in the live action one how they bonded by like yeah they were both somewhat well read like they were quoting Shakespeare and stuff together and I mean they had they were trying to show what they had in common and whatever yeah it gave them some reasons to be together and whatnot yeah in addition to shoehorning the whole mother situation uh yeah here I, I, I was a little surprised to see the dad Maurice be such a central character again because I didn't remember the movie at all but he's in there a lot but um, and I was expecting to have more characters within the castle, but it's really just like the four, five if you count the wardrobe, and or, six and if the you count dog. the cook. Yeah. Seven the dog. Seven dog. Um, yeah. So, uh, but it's enough. Like it's it's not overbearing. It's, it it gets in, it gets out, it does its thing. Yeah, the, I like that. And it's, the animation is amazing, fantastic, top of the line at the time. And yeah, songs are two out of five. <laughs> two, two, out, <laughs> two, out two out of five, out of five are good. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> we've talked a lot about this movie. Let's talk about the awards because it was the number one movie of the year, which means it has to be considered for some awards, right? Well, it won the Oscar for best score, Alan Menken, and uh. Mencken and Ashman won the Best Original Song for the Beauty and the Beast song. They were also nominated for Be Our Guest and also the song called Bell. So I guess I did have that written down as part of my awards section there. So that opening song, that was also nominated for an it's Oscar. It's called Bell. Oh, it's called Bell. Really? Uh, also nominated for Best Sound and Best Picture. That was a huge deal because it was the first animated full-length feature to be nominated for Best Picture. Uh, it's the first... It was the only one until Up also joined that rank. Um, but Up was nominated for Best Picture in a grouping of like 10, whereas this was back when Best Picture was only up to five nominees. Yeah. And there was no Best Animated Picture category in 1992. 
At the Golden Globes, it won the best score, it won best song for Beauty and the Beast, and also won the best picture, comedy, and musical, which is the first time um, an animated movie has won that category at the Golden Globes. The movie won four Grammys as well, and it's part of the National Film Registry. It was added in 2002, which I think was the first year of its eligibility. And that's the, the you know a lot of other awards, but those are those are the main ones. We already talked about um, Alan Menken and Howard Ashman a little bit. Uh, again, they they won Oscars for the Little Mermaid score and Under the Sea also won Best Original Song, um, Aladdin Best Score, and also Whole New World won Best song colors of the wind for pocahontas one best song for alan menken he's been nominated for tangled enchanted hercules and the hunchback of notre dame he's also been razzie nominated for rocky five for the song measure of a man and also he's a razzie winner for newsies for the song high times hard times what so <laughs> you know you have issues with the Razzies. I like, I like Newsies, but whatever. Well, high times, hard times, maybe not so much. Um, and then obviously uh, the uh, the pop, quote-unquote pop version of the Beauty and the Beast song was a massive hit as well. That was sung by Celine Dion and Peebo Bryson. You can hear that over the end credits. But you also probably heard it all over the radio back in the 1990 oh, yeah. season. Uh I mentioned that Linda Wolverton is the animation screenplay person, but there are so many other people who are credited as the story that I just didn't mention them before. That's honestly like 10 different people. Go ahead and check out IMDb if you want to. They're all Disney regulars. They all have their hands in different projects and um, didn't want to make the opening paragraph too long. Uh, Linda had been involved with animated series like Popples, My Little Pony, and uh, Chippendale's Rescue Rangers. Uh, she also did work on The Lion King, Homeward Bound, and Maleficent as the screenplay writer there. Gary Truesdale and Kirk Wise did things like Hunchback of Notre Dame and Atlantis Lost Empire for Disney. Gary also did some work on some Shrek and Kung Fu Panda short films for DreamWorks. Um, Robbie Benson as The Beast Golden Globe nominee for Most Promising Newcomer in 1973 for a movie called Jeremy. Also nominated for their mini and TV movie series actor Two of a Kind. Razzie nominations for Harry and Sons. A Stinkers Award win for Walk Proud and Die Laughing. Those are two separate movies. <laughs> and also a Cable Ace nomination for the show Dream On. Um, he's also a director and writer, most notably for a movie called Modern Love, which he also starred in. He also has directed other sitcoms like Ellen and Friends, a few episodes of that. And he does some other acting work like he was in Severance most recently, uh, the Apple TV show. And then uh, does some voiceover work like The Legend of Prince Valiant, where he played Prince Valiant against Paige O'Hara, who played Belle. She was also in The Prince Valiant. She did not do a whole lot of voice acting other than this. Um, she's been in Belle and other projects like Kingdom Hearts, where Belle mm -hmm. appears, as well as other characters. Uh, and some other Disney things where Belle is a character, is like a side story. Um, but aside from that, this was her first major role and basically her last she did have a little small part in enchanted but other than that she's been Belle, and that's about it she was a broadway actress before this so that's you know how she got hired is because they brought in a lot of broadway people for this and that's about it 
Uh, Gaston was played by Richard White. He was exclusively a stage actor before and basically after this. The only other credit that's listed for him is for a King's Quest video game. But other than that, he stayed off of the, uh, the small screen or the big screen. We got David Ogden Steers as Cogsworth. We've seen him before in Doc Hollywood, so I think we've talked about his credits back then, but, you know, most notably from M.A.S.H., I think. Uh, Chip was played by Bradley Pierce. He's done some voice work for Por Porco Rosso, the English dub. Uh, he was in the Chaplin movie. He was Tails in the Jaleel White-voiced Sonic cartoon. Uh, he was one of the brothers in... Or <laughs> one of the brothers. He's one of the kids in Jumanji, and he's also in the bar Borrowers Jerry Orbach, we've talked about a couple times here and there, uh, but he got his start in musicals, which is something I don't think we've mentioned in the past. He actually didn't get a whole lot of TV and, and movie work because of his Broadway roots for a long time. There was kind of a two separate worlds aspect to Hollywood, but he has been in such productions as The Fantastics, 42nd Street, and Chicago, where he got a Tony nomination. He's also been nominated for his role in Guys and Dolls, and he won the Tony for Promises, Promises. Now we have uh, Angela Lansbury as Mrs. Potts, Oscar-nominated for Gaslight, Picture of Dorian Gray, and Manchurian Candidate. She was the winner of an honorary award in 2014. Emmy-nominated 12 times for Murder, She Wrote. She won the Golden Globe four times for that role and nominated a bunch more. She was also a winner for the Picture of Dorian Gray and Manchurian Candidate, and also nominated for Something for Everyone and Bedknobs and Broomsticks. She's also been in other notable movies such as Long Hot Summer and Blue Hawaii, where she played Ellis's mom, uh, and then just recently passed away, unfortunately. That's most of our cast and crew, really. We talked about awards, so we can go on to true crime and pop culture. I will say that... Um... Jerry Orbach does a good French accent. I did not know it was him. Me neither. Yeah. And I didn't know I, he was I a singer. I really didn't know he was a singer at all. I knew him from Law and Order. And yeah. And every okay, this is something that doesn't always happen, but this is probably one of the last movies where everyone who is the voice acting cast is also the singers. singing cast. Yeah. I mean which, the people in the live action one are singers a lot of them yeah i'm just saying typically in like well, disney yeah. movies like aladdin for instance the guy who played aladdin did not do the it's singing. a different singing voice yes, yeah they hired a different singer so but here everyone who was doing the acting work also did all the, were the singers all the singing work i just i i mean growing up up until like a few days ago i i truly thought it was like a real french person <laughs> Because he does a good French accent. Yeah. Yeah, all, all the voice actors are pretty good. Yeah, so, okay, we can do pop culture. I'm not going to do a true crime. Okay. Um, this movie was released November 22nd, 1991, which is a Friday. It was a few days before my curl. And it was released on the same day as American Tale, Fievel Goes West, which, oof. Yeah, too bad for Fievel. That was bad timing. Yeah. I guess they thought they could take on the... The Disney? The, the behemoth, the machine. Yeah. But no, <laughs> not with this one. 
And so I'm just going to, I'm going to get into the real, I'm not going to read like the whole story, obviously, but this is based off of a fairy tale that was written by a French novelist. Her name is Gabrielle Suzanne Bardot de Villeneuve. And in the live action movie, the town they live in is Villeneuve. So it's like an homage to her, mm. I guess. Um, this was written in 1740, but the original story is about a widower merchant, you know, the father. He was rich. That's what I kind of liked in the movie because they talked about living in Paris when they were younger. Mm-hmm. But um, he had 12 children and Belle was the youngest. Mm-hmm. And the prettiest. He had six sons and six daughters. She was the youngest of all of them. And the merchant eventually loses all his wealth. So they all have to go live in a small cottage in a small town. So whatever this town is that they live in. They don't really say, but in France. Right. (laughs) And, um... So he goes, the merchant, this is like some years later, the merchant goes off to for some trading thing and he asks all his children what they want when he comes back. And all of his children are like, I want, you know, jewels, I want nice clothes and whatever. And all Belle wants is a rose. And that's what they do show in the live action one. Right. When he goes off, he's like, do you want anything? And she's like, I just want a single rose. Right. Um, And also in the live action one, her father is not an inventor. He's an artist. Yeah. And, um, but here they use the the invention the thing. The invention as, thing. As a, well, well, they kind of needed to get him out of town, and also a means for Chip to save them save both them, because yeah. he uses the invention to rescue them from the cellar. Right. Um, so on his way there, he loses all his money, and then you know he comes back. There is a storm, and he comes about this castle, and that's when he. He's, he sees the garden, so he takes the rose. That's the only thing that he could bring back. And that's when he gets caught by the beast. And, you know, he's in prison. But in this one, the beast agrees to let him go. And he's like, okay, deliver your rose to your daughter. But one of your daughters has to come back and be my prisoner. And... <laughs> the family is like choose Belle because you're the reason why he got caught because she wanted the rose. Sure. And you know she goes there and then you know they talk about the fairy. The fairy tale is very similar in the live action one where he is, he was turned into this beast. There is no guest on whatsoever. Like there's no one coming after her that wants to marry her, but. She, the story of the beast, you know, having to find someone that loves him and he loves her within a certain amount of time is true. But it's just like, the other thing that I thought was different was that 
she she's with him for a few months and she misses her family so he's like oh he's nice enough where he's like oh you can go back to your family and say hi but you have to come back within a certain amount of time uh-huh. and she does so i guess th- this is like where it is kind of stockholm syndrome well i'm sure it's probably like scare tactics like you have this yeah. vicious beast if i don't do what he says then he's probably gonna come in yeah but murder, it's just the so. way he's like allowing her to do this and yeah but she does so but the other thing is that it's kind of mm, iffy is that every day he's asking for her hand in marriage and she's like no 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 until I mean I'm not giving you the whole freaking story. Right. There's also not there's no inanimate objects. Like she's being enchanted by like animals. It's like birds and, you know, parrots and monkeys and whatever that live on in his castle area. Okay. It's like attending to her. But they don't talk. They're just, no, yeah. they're just kind of kind of like like Snow White. Snow White yeah, yeah. where she's talking to birds or singing with birds. And Eventually, I'll just get to it. Eventually, they do fall in love with each other. But when it's resolved, the prince is informed about... Like, I don't know. Like, when the prince finds out that Belle is not from, like, a established or, like, noble family... It's like, I can't marry you. (laughs) But then the the fairy or whatever enchantress that turned him into the beast was like, no, her father used to be a rich man that lived like in Paris or whatever, blah, blah, blah. And they were of a family of wealth. Then they do get married. And they It'd be funny if he was like, oh, well, you're turned back because you, yeah, you didn't learn your lesson. Right. So... It's like, oh, That's... you're not high enough station for me. Sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. You're just a petty. I and mean... the fairy's like, well, that was the trick. They used to be. You done fucked up. Back to beast. You yeah, go. yeah. <laughs> I just thought that was funny. You didn't learn and there's like after. a million different iterations that all over the world that like, you know, turn this, twist this Yeah, story and this has into... been a movie many times as well. Yeah, the first one being, it's called La Belle et la Bête, and that is like, you know, a French movie based off of this that came out in 1946. That was like the first live action one. Is that, I thought there was like a silent one as well, perhaps. I didn't really look at that too much, but like the 1946 French movie is like one of the most famous. Yeah. And it's, one of the best movies ever to be made and i've never seen it so oh yeah uh, but yeah it, it's supposed to be incredible and um there was an animated so i'll just say some of them because there's truly like 20 different movies throughout the 40s to now but there was an animated one it was called the scarlet flower and that was that was released in 1952. Hmm. And another tidbit, I don't know if you saw this in looking at the uh, trivia, but Beauty and the Beast, the uh, this one, I guess, <laughs> the animated one, not the Soviet one, was planned to be directed by Don Bluth and distributed by Columbia Pictures. 
It was announced in 1984, but subsequently was canceled in 1989. Mm. No, I didn't see that. I just saw that Disney had planned to make this movie multiple times throughout the decades, and they just never were able to find the right treatment for it, I guess, Mm -hmm. uh, until here. Yeah. So they, they had tried like in the 50s and 60s, and it just never came to fruition then. There was a, in 1987, there was a musical live action version of this that starred Rebecca De Mornay as Beauty. Okay. And then, it made me think, and then there was all these other iterations, you know, like the TV show that we talked about. Yeah, with Linda Hamilton. Linda Hamilton, yeah. Which I sort of remember i remember seeing like ads and stuff for it and it kind of freaked me out because the like the makeup for it ron perlman was the beast yeah so it's kind of just like ron perlman without makeup as well <laughs> it's just, you know, yeah, like it's... but i don't really know the premise of that show it's but he is a beast Three, it's it was three seasons, so he doesn't turn into a human. He's always a beast, even though they have this relationship. Yeah, I think I don't know. Maybe we can get into that more when we get into T two. When but, we talk about because I feel um, like that was like one of those shows where it was like really popular, but didn't get like a good resolution. Like they wanted to turn him human, and they never got the chance because it got canceled too soon or something. Uh, it's just. I don't know. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> yeah. It felt, I don't know. Like I, fantasy-ish. It's like a fantasy, it felt like a cop show in the Beauty and the Beast world to me. Just from yeah. seeing like well, the there was pictures another cop show based off of this too. And then they made a CW <laughs> Beauty and the Beast that was like in 2012 or okay. whatever. Which I... Totally scrapped. forgot. <laughs> yeah. No, that lasted like four seasons. Oh. I had no idea. I think that was the cop version. Oh. And then, you know, like the movie Beastly. <laughs> Do you remember that? No. Oh, the one with... It has Vanessa Hudgens, and that was in 2011. And then there's like Beautician and the Beast. Do you remember one. that? Yeah, yeah, I remember that one. <laughs> so, I mean, Didn't there's... See it, but I remember. Yeah, and then, you know, obviously they made, like, the video games with, like, Kingdom Hearts, but they did have the Beauty and the Beast video game that was on Super Nintendo. I have the full list of games. Oh, okay. You, can... this. you have, uh, yeah, you have the Super Nintendo 1 made in 1994. You also had an NES game that was released in 1994 for the original Nintendo, but just in Europe. It never came to the United States. On the Genesis, they got two... Complimentary games. One was called Bell's Quest, where you play as Bell, and one called Roar of the Beast, where you would play as the Beast. Those are two separate titles. You'd have to purchase them separately. And then you also have a couple PC games in 1994. Well, not really a game. You have the Beauty and the Beast print kit. And then in 1999, you had the Beauty and the Beast, a board game adventure for the Game Boy Color. So they waited a whole eight years to release a Game Boy Color board game version of Beauty and the Beast for some unknown reason. And then in 2000, they also had Beauty and the Beast Magical Ballroom for the computer as well. Uh, They had some other, you know, pop culture stuff. BK Kids Club had their toys. So McDonald's did not get this license, unlike most Disney stuff. Uh, It went to Burger King this time. 
for a series of four toys. And then they also had two trading card sets. One was in made by Pro Set, which was 75 cards, and you had uh, uh, color coloring cards insert set, where you know you basically have outlines. You could like do your own coloring of certain mm-hmm. scenes, and you also had Magic Mirror cards, where you could do like a uh, like a scratch off lottery ticket type of a device, where you could scratch off the Magic Mirror and see what was hiding beneath it. And then Upper Deck also released a 198 card set with hologram inserts both of those came out in 1992 so that's what i was able to find yeah and then they also so they did the theater version of beauty and the beast of this 1991 one i guess Mm -hmm. because it it was written by linda wolverton as well that was in 1994 but also in 1994 there was an opera of La Belle et la Bette from that 1940s movie, and that was by Philip Glass, which I totally want to see. It might be available online, maybe? Yeah. Production of it? I will Okay, I don't know if you want to do, like, the highest grossing movies. I mean, Disney movies. Oh, if you... Yeah, sure, if you want to. How it compares to other... Disney movies? Yeah, so... According to ScreenRant.com, this is of as of February 2022, the 15 highest-grossing Disney animation movies ever. So... Beauty and the Beast is now at number 12. That's... That would say 424 million... But I mean, the gross worldwide. Yeah, yeah, the gross worldwide. But I mean, obviously, number number one and number two are two movies that I haven't even seen and I have no interest. (laughs) Okay. And it's Frozen and Frozen Two. Oh. They made like over a billion. I mean, it's. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see more. I I don't know how possible it is. I know that some sources do ticket sales as opposed to dollars because yeah. you know in 1991 it would be really easy to see a movie for like two three dollars yeah I and mean, this is based off of like that year but number three is the lion king and that's 1994 and that that also made... had a couple re-releases oh okay that was 1.08 billion yeah lion king's i think my favorite disney movie I think Aladdin has my favorite you collection think? of songs. I think Aladdin and Little Mermaid are mine. Besides the ones from, I mean, my my very first favorite Disney movie was Cinderella. Like I, I remember being obsessed with Cinderella. But when it became into like the '90s with this renaissance, it was like Little Mermaid and Aladdin. Those were like my two faves yeah they hit the right times i think that's yeah because we were i mean i was like you know eight nine so i mean obviously something else oh so okay one more thing is that i mean we're recording this before this is gonna air but by the time this episode airs this thing is gonna be already aired i guess but they're making a another live action Disney Beauty and the Beast. 
it's going to be a thing. And like it's, one of those live broadcasts? Yeah, it's a live production. broadcast, yeah. And it stars Her. Do you know who Her is? H-E-R? I know of Her. <laughs> She's going to be Belle, and Josh Groban is going to be Beast. And then it's going to have Martin Short in there. Rita Moreno is going to be the narrator. It's airing December 15th on ABC. So it's already passed. Yeah. So by the time this episode comes out, it would have been out. But it will be available on Disney Plus after that. Oh, okay. So we could watch it after that. So there you go. You have a few different versions on Disney Plus because the remake is obviously also... There are like... If you go on Disney Plus, there's the (laughs) sing-along. And then there was another one that was called the Emoji version it was like a three minute video oh was, i was like yeah, what the is story going told on? in emojis but it was like a three minute thing oh okay i thought it was full emojis no, i was like what's no. happening with disney plus yeah, that's with society all right so where where on your one to five star scale are you going to rank the non-sing-along version of beauty and the beast okay that's <laughs> i'm gonna give this movie a three a three okay controversial I, I guess. <laughs> Is that mostly because of the music? Yeah. Yeah. Um, on my zero to four star scale, I, I really recognize the animation on this. This is like what drew my attention more than anything is the visuals of it. I love the quick pace of it. I like all the characters in this and the way that they're interpreted. I'm giving it a three and a half out of four. That doesn't mean that the music's memorable, <laughs> but... I think that's what's really taking it out of the four-star realm is that I saw this a while back and I kind of didn't remember a whole lot of it. But I remembered enjoying it when I did see it. And now watching it again, I enjoyed it. I'm not going to remember it six months from now. So, three and a half out of four for me. Every movie's worth watching once. Would you watch this again? Yeah. I would too. I would too. Again, mostly for the animation stuff, more than anything. I mean, I like the story, yeah. Yeah. I would gladly watch this over the remake. Oh, the live action? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I I don't think I'll watch the live action. I have no reason to watch the live action remake again. I like the Jungle Book live action remake. I like the Aladdin. I like the Aladdin one. And I like the Mulan one. Yeah. So they, they have done some good ones. This was not one of the good ones um stick with the animated and if you out there do want to watch the animated beauty and the beast as this recording in december 2022 it's available on disney plus digital rental vhs or dvd as always check your local listings you can listen to us on all of your major podcasting platforms please remember to rate review subscribe and tell your friends you can email us at 1991moviewrewind@gmail.com. at gmail.com Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, YouTube. Just search 1991 Movie Rewind or go to 1991MovieRewind.com for the full list of movies along with show notes and more. Next year when we return, we'll be going international. We're watching Raise the Red Lantern. That's available on Freebie, digital rental, VHS, DVD. We will see you then.